This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, LSPod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parking or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Hello Duncan. Rich, how are you? I am very well and I'm very excited to be talking to yourself because one, of course, you're a Swindon Town legend, and two, you were in the starting eleven when I went to my first Swindon Town game. So you join the podcast. Uh, you're an elite member of the podcast just because you played in that game. So it's good to talk to you. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't score though, and we lost. But never mind. They still got my still got my support. If it was one of my first games, Richard, I wouldn't have scored because I never scored for about ten games until <laughs> I joined. Uh, you know, when the when the league started. Yeah, um, I just went through a horrific time. I don't know what, just one of these, uh, one of these times, you know. Yeah. Well, we'll start right at the beginning, and I must say, a lot of the sources that I've used for your career is from the the book that I showed you that I owe, which is Shira Wonderland, which is a lot of Aberdeen, not much Swindon, but I forgive you for it. So, when <laughs> when you were younger, who did you support, and who were your childhood football heroes? Uh, I was a Celtic supporter. Yeah, my family were Celtic supporters. Uh, my older brother David, um, he played Highland League. And he went on to Middlesbrough, Wigan, Gillingham, Scunthorpe. He had a football career as well. So he was a big Celtic supporter and used to go down to the game. So I tailed that off him. Uh, and in fact, all my family are Celtic supporters to this day. You know, so 
That was my team. My favourite players. I just missed out in the Kenny DeGleish era. Yeah. He had just he had just left to go down to join Liverpool. Um, but it was Charlie Nicholas, um, Tommy Burns, you know, guys like that, Roy Aitken, and, and, and guys like that that I used to go down and watch on a Saturday. Um, it's one of those grounds, Celtic Park, Parkhead, whatever. It's one of those grounds that fans of other supporting teams, maybe not Rangers or people with certain leanings, want to go to. I mean, it's certainly a ground that's on my bucket list. What was it like, though, back in the day when it was all standing and things like that? Uh, it's fantastic. We were in what they used to call at Celtic the jungle, which was as the players come out of the tunnel straight in front of you, on the other side there was this big area and that was the area that used to sway about all the time. Any time Celtic would get near the goal, or uh, a goal would be scored, there'd be a big rush forward. And to be honest with you, even then it was it was still what was I then probably 17, something like that. Um, even then it was quite frightening, you know, because when you're standing in the middle of a, a rush of people going down them concrete steps, you know, it's, it can be you've got the quite strong legs to to keep up. Because if you hit the deck, you're in trouble. Yeah. Um, but it was a fantastic, uh, fantastic atmosphere. See, I'm actually from Fulham, which would be about two and a half hours then in a minibus. You know, there was a, a couple of minibuses go down on Saturday, and we'd have a great uh, bit of fun and, and, and come back and uh, fantastic drive. You know, from Fulham through Loch Lomond onto the Erskine Bridge and into Glasgow nice. and then for the game, and uh, it was. Uh, Good times, you know. I only, I could probably count probably about twelve games or something like that. But then, I started kicking off into football myself, so my Saturdays were busy after that. Yeah, um, my stepdad is from Edinburgh, and around about the same time as when you would have been doing that, my dad pretty much worked on the railways just so he could uh, go and yeah. see Aberdeen home and away all yeah. of, all, all through his uh, late teens, yeah. early twenties. So yeah, I heard many a story, uh, kind of like. You weren't a football hooligan, but you pretty much had to be. Follow the floor. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so let's let's talk football. Um, before we get to the Highland League, what what are your memories of playing football in Fort William as a kid? Were you always a prolific centre forward, or did you play around the positions? No, no, always uh, always uh, a centre forward. Um, we had under fourteen leagues. Uh, we had school leagues. We just popped to Inverness to play. Um, and we also had uh, under 16, and then you would go into what they call the local welfare, which would be the local amateurs leagues round about where you are. So I had a couple of seasons in there, um, playing for the playing for a team called Youth Centre, they were called. Um, and they won most of the things down in down in Fort William, like. So that was quite a, a hard upbringing, you know. And as anybody who's played amateur league would know, how, how, you know how difficult it is. Um, so you're going in there at what, 16 years of age and 17 years of age and, and uh, you're getting kicked about quite a lot so you have to stand up and be counted so, um, how, 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 do you, how do you stand up and be counted? Is it just a case of showing your physicality, scoring goals or squaring up against older guys? Well, how, no, how do you do it? <laughs> I had a lot of protection from my teammates around <laughs> me uh, the older players and that um, but no, I think if you I learned quickly that I had to move the ball a lot quicker. If I dallied on it, I was going to get nailed. It's as simple as that. And in the amateur league, you know, you would get you would get nailed, and uh, the referee would just let them away with it. So I had to move a bit quicker. 
and I learned quite uh, I learned quite uh, difficult times through there, you know. But mm. um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I played a couple of seasons in there, and uh, uh, it was good times. Yeah, you played in the Highland League with Cratnacudden. Forgive the pronunciation if if that's if that's yeah. not if that's not right. And one yeah. thing that that your book actually, I was looking at just this this afternoon. I was looking at the pictures in the middle, and there was a couple of shots from your days at Cratnacudden, and I couldn't believe yeah. how good the pitch looks. I was expecting to see chaos, and it, yeah. it actually looks all right. Yeah, I think. I mean, when I you know, fast forward in uh, a number of years when I played quite a few friendlies um, down in England at the pre-season games and that, you know, um, there were, all these pictures were good as well, you know, uh, good things to play. And Clark was good. It was a good upbringing. It was a it was a club that my older brother David joined as well. So he took the same path, um, Fulloy and uh, Clark and then on to Middlesbrough. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it, was, it was a fantastic place, you know. Actually, the... the the boy that played for us in that welfare team, he moved to Clachnacadden and uh, he had a word with a the manager there that was a young striker in uh, Fort William, you know, that uh, you'd have a look at. So he took me up the road and there, there was two, three, four of us in Fort William we used to travel up <coughs> in a car on a Saturday. <coughs> and that was our introduction into, into Highland League. I was still, I would have been 18 at the time. Mm. Um, the other boys were like 20, 21, 22 so yeah, um, yeah. Mm. Is there much of a scouting network in Fort William or do you, is it very much about who you know and getting your name out and having to travel? <laughs> a lot of my friends uh, a lot of my friends who were good footballers took it upon themselves I remember them they were saying they were writing letters to clubs um, you still see kids do it today to this day they write letters particularly the ones that are from the islands Orkney, Stornoway um, all the way up there, you know, they don't uh, they don't really get a chance in the rural areas, mm. Rich, you know, so that was the way that they got through, you know um, the way I got through was obviously playing for playing for Clachnacudden, where there was a few more scouts involved, you know Yeah, okay, so you, you do pretty well at Clachnacudden and the scouts, so I mean it's going to be a question you're asked a million times how does somebody go from Clachnacudden down uh, to Chelsea and how many other teams were looking at you at that time? Okay, so I started off firstly when I was in Fort William. Um, I went with this other lad and we went to Patrick Thistle when I was 16. We went for a week and we were told basically that we had a lot of work to be done and, um, you know, the usual thing that you would tell a trialist um, that he's not going to get there, you know. Mm. So that was fine. You just go away and you just work harder. Then I was I joined Clark and then I got the chance to go to Aberdeen for a week. Um, so I went there for a week and I was due to go back a week later but the weather moved in and the game that I was supposed to play in the friendly was called off and I never really heard anything then you know I often wondered you know because that was the start of the Aberdeen years you know the Gothenburg years <clears throat> Alec Ferguson was the manager and um, but I enjoyed my week's training and I just went back and started carried on and played for Clough you know yeah and and then and then Chelsea came in for you. So I mean, was that and was that was been travelling down for a trial as well? Well, it was a strange one. It was um, we played uh, Ross County, which is uh, across the Keswick Bridge, Ross County. I know in in, in, the, in the Premier League, and um, we played them in a midweek game. Um, we won four two, and I managed to get two goals that night. I still look back on that as. 
um, fondly because I still think if I never scored two goals that day, I don't know whether I would have got a chance in Football League. And there was a, a, a man there called Rod Klein um, died, unfortunately, a number of years ago. And he was very friendly with a, the Chelsea assistant manager at the time, um, a, a man called Ian McNeil, who used to manage Ross County. Um, so he had a word with me afterwards in the tunnel and asked me if I'd like to go down to Chelsea. And uh, I said to him, I says, you do realise I'm 21 years old now, you know? He says, yeah, that's not a problem, you know? I said, oh, well, good. So I travelled down uh, a couple of weeks later and I played as a trialist in a reserve game against Bristol Rovers for Chelsea. And uh, you just wouldn't, I couldn't believe how fast this game was going. You know, I was way, way off the mark. But I must have done something that caught his eye, Ian, um, because in the car on the way home back to my back to my digs, he'd asked me how much I think Clark would have asked for me if they wanted to buy me, and of course I didn't have a clue in that. So he says, "Well, that's what we want to do, and we'll get it in motion." And uh, that was just it was fantastic for me, you know. But as you say, to, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I, I never even seen a double digger bus until I came up to Inverness. And that's the truth. This is, Rich, this is early 80s. Yeah. The first time I came up to Inverness to play football. Yeah. I remember seeing this bus going, you know, round the back of the stadium. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, the strangest bus. The reason that was because in Fulham we have a low bridge where you could just get single buses. I didn't know anything about double-decker buses. <laughs> so I'm standing, I'm standing in the middle of the park looking at this bus thinking, what the hell is that? <laughs> well, just, just, just naivety, you know. Um, so that was me on the on the way to Chelsea, and uh, for a fee, I think it was five thousand pound at the time. Nice. I mean, I wonder if we'll be boring people talking about double decker buses, but in a, in a in a funny twist, the first time I ever went on a double decker bus was in Edinburgh on the way to watch Hibs versus Aberdeen um, in in 1992 because all the places I've ever lived didn't have uh, double decker buses and um, it was also the first time I had a Capri's cream egg um, just to really uh, send that home so I mean and you've had a few more since uh, one or two one or two (laughs) they've got smaller now so you've got to have more than one haven't you Uh, (laughs) London now I go to I've been to London as like an 18 year old I've been now in my in my 30s you know I, I go to London and it's just busy and mm. I'm from small town Wiltshire I live in Bristol now but it's it's just too busy for me it's fun for a weekend maybe a few a few more days but to live there it, it's yeah. not really my cup of tea depending on what my wages are what was that like for you well I never actually got a chat when I went on my trial I stayed not far from Stamford Bridge but I just used to walk from where I stayed down to the Stamford Bridge at the time. Mm. And then we'd get the minibus out to train. At, uh, they were training at a place called Harlington, which was near Heathrow. So I used to jump on the on the minibus with the young kids. You know, they would congregate there, get all the balls and the equipment, and then they would head down, get everything set up for the first team when the first team came in. And the first, uh, first four or five days, I was actually training with youth team at Chelsea um, they had just won the FA Cup and uh, these boys were only uh, what under 18s, 17s or something like that wow, these were some good players I tell you, you know, and just but 
Because that was them going about all over the place, picking like any top club, pick all the best youth players and that. So I was training with them for a while, and them boys were good, you know, before I went into the reserve team and, and uh, moved on from there. But London, I was exactly like you, you know. Fortunately for me, uh, my wife's family are, uh, well, it wasn't my wife at the time, but their family are big, big Chelsea fans, you know. And Ian had met my wife's dad coming out of one of the games, they were talking away, and uh, Ian had said to him casually, you know, we're signing a young boy from Scotland and we need to, somewhere for him to stay. And he says, right, stay with us. So they took me in and um, Michael passed away uh, three, four years ago, but um, I ended up marrying the daughter. So we're still a little family now and that. And uh, I'm very, very grateful for what they did to me. And they give me that uh, that stability that I needed. You know, had I gone down to London, you can imagine, and, and stayed somewhere myself and got involved with some boys and or whatever and go out drinking at night and getting bored. Mm. So I was out at Amersham in Buckinghamshire and there was in a stable get stable food and, and um, there was a boy there the same age as me, Mark. He's now got a business in London. Um, the boy is my brother-in-law. Um, so we were always quite close and he took me to a few Chelsea games and, uh, you know, because the reserve team played on Tuesday. So the very very first week he says to me, he says, come on, I'll take you, we'll go down and watch uh, Chelsea play at Leeds, you know. So I don't know, I didn't know nothing about it at the time. It was really, the violence and that was pretty, pretty harsh, you know. Mm. And we, we got a train through to Leeds with all the Chelsea fans and it was just manic, absolute manic. Off the train, horses in between us, onto the game, back out again, just ushered. You weren't even allowed to go for a burger. You know, I'm really treated really badly, but um, you could see where all the violence was coming from, and you could see uh, it was it was going to be pretty difficult, you know. Yeah. Uh, so then, so sorry, Rich. Then on the Monday, mm. I went into training. I'm sitting, and the boys were asking me what I was, I was doing the weekend. So I went down to watch you boys at Leeds, and they're going, "You did what? What? They called the coach, and John Hollands was the coach. Ask him where he was yesterday and Saturday. We beat Leeds one 0 he says, where were you? I says, I was down at Leeds. Where who with? He says, the Chelsea fans were. He says, well, you don't go again. He says, what was it like? I says, exactly, I'm not going again. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they were asking me all questions about it because they knew all about the Chelsea fans and the Leeds fans and it uh, and it kicked off quite a few times and I'm just thinking to myself, how did you get caught up in that? First time into the manager's office after I've just signed a week ago and I'm down with the Chelsea hooligans in amongst the Leeds fans. Ah, <laughs> So, but never went against Yeah, baptism of fire. Um, yeah. I mean, I I would say like the eighties is is one of the hardest generations to mm. sort of establish yourself as a professional footballer, uh, especially in comparison to now because you mm. had one substitute. You know, you had a manager who liked their eleven, especially liked their centre forwards. So you have to really be patient, and I say that as you, as a, as a yeah. professional footballer, and what you experienced at Chelsea. So I mean, I imagine it, it's more of a learning experience to try and. Obviously, you want to force your way into the first team, but ultimately, you've got to be realistic and just make sure you're learning as much as you can in order to get the next contract. You're absolutely right, because bearing in mind, I mentioned I was 21 when I signed, so I was a really late developer. Um, but 
had two good strikers to learn off at the time, uh, Kerry Dixon and David Speedy. Um, the fact is that I was only there three months and the manager had come to me, um, the coach, and said if I had interest already for teams wanting to take me on loan, you know, Reading and Chester and Wrexham and all these sort of teams, you know, and I said, listen, I'm not quite... He says, I think you're doing the right thing. Just stay here and learn a bit more yet, you know, because you missed out in what you call an apprentice. That age is between 16 and 20. I, was, I wasn't really coached. So I just started really learning about the game at 20, 21. And, and uh, obviously I spent two years at Chelsea. And although there was another contract for me, um, I opted to go to Huddersfield. And, and I spoke to John Holland. He was the, the, the manager at Chelsea at the time was a, a man called John Neal. Um, and so when, when he retired, John Hollands took over, and John had said to me, you know, that there's a contract there for you. But I says, no, I says, time to go, time to take the step back, and then see if I can uh, see if I can take the step forward again, you know. Mm. So I moved on to Huddersfield from there. Yeah. How how influential was John Neal and John Hollands all the all the coaching staff during that time? Well, John Neal John Neal was the actual the man. When he was at Middlesbrough before he got the Chelsea job, John Neal was actually a man that signed my brother, David Shearer, along with Ian McNeil as his manager. Ian was very good at picking up Scottish players. Picked up Joe McLaughlin, Pat Nevin, uh, and quite a few others, you know. So, um, John was a... He was coming towards the end of his career himself, John, you know. Um, but uh, I, I had a bit to do with him, but he was mostly the first team. I was, most of my time, I was in the reserves with a coach called Martin Hinchwood was really good for me and that, as well as the youth coach, Gwen Williams. And I love working with John Hollands as well. He was the Chelsea first team coach. Yeah. And you still yeah. you still achieved a, a strike rate a strike uh, rate of one in one in <laughs> every two games. I was down I went down a number of years later down to Cobham. As I say my my, my brother in law Mark took me to Cobham we got Gwen, the youth coach, we good friends with him. Came in and we met a load of the the Chelsea and John Terry was there and and, and, and Frank Lampard and guys like that. And I was speaking to John Terry and uh, although John doesn't remember, he's a big Chelsea fan. I said, I only played two games. I says, uh, I said, a 50% strike rate. I says, played two and scored one. He says, there's not many Chelsea strikers can say that. So he calls over a few, Frank Lampard and a few other boys. He says, come here and listen to this guy here. <laughs> So they were just laughing away. So, oh, you're quite right. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So, as you say, there, Huddersfield Town was your next port of call, which was your first opportunity to play first team football on a regular basis. It's um, second tier, isn't it? So, it's the old second division. Um, yeah. So that's that's a great level. So it shows that what you had uh, experienced in that time at Chelsea was enough to keep you at a at a good standard. Was it Mick Buxton that took you? It was Mick that took me. Yeah, Joey Jones, uh, the old Liverpool right left was it left back right back? I can't remember. He was at Chelsea at the time, and then he moved to Huddersfield mm. and had a word with Mick Buxton and said, "There's a chance you can get this boy," and he says, "Oh, ten, fifteen grand's." bit much for us, you know. Being the main Huddersfield were, like you said, the old second bit, which is equivalent to the championship now, you know. Um, he said, Joey said to him, no, you need to take him. I'm telling you now, you'll score, score goals for you, you know. So uh, that was it. I went there and it was under, under Mick Buxton, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at this stage, because like you, you did all right when you got the 
brief opportunities at Chelsea. You really mm. hit the ground running at Huddersfield, yeah. didn't you? And then your second season, your player of the year. Did you yeah. think, well, what's the fuss all about this football like? It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't take it quite, because it was quite difficult, because Huddersfield's first game when I went there, um, uh, it was Barnsley away, and they were sitting second, third bottom. And I got a hat trick in my first game. We beat them three one. Of course, that took me to the fans straight away because that's a local derby for them, you know. So they were singing and dancing, and I think it gave the whole club a boost because they've been looking for a goal scorer for quite a while. Mm. Um, then we went on in the Saturday. Uh, following Saturday, we played Stoke at home in front. Of, I think we're, we're getting crowds of twelve, thirteen thousand, which was really good, you know. Um, we beat Stoke two 0 The manager got a couple of goals, so there's. Five goals in two games. So right away, you know, you couldn't, you could do no wrong, you know. Yeah. Do you get frustrated as a centre forward when you score loads of goals? And we had we had a player called Simon Cox that did this. He scored twenty nine goals in a season. Yeah. And if yeah. it wasn't for him, we would have got relegated. Normally, when you have goal scorers that score so many, it's in a promotion or a playoff season. Yeah. But it was a season yeah. of struggle. I mean, your time at Huddersfield was was. You know, yeah. there was a relegation in there. Is it frustrating as a professional, as an individual? Obviously, it's a team sport and you're just doing what you can to help out. But when you're doing your bit and you're doing it so well, do you sometimes look around and go, come on, guys, I'm doing my bit. You've got to help me out here. No. Never. <laughs> never. I can't do my bit if boys around me don't do their bit. Yeah. And that's any strike I'll tell you that. If I don't get the supply, then, uh, then uh, I mean, I'm not messy. I can't, I can't grab a ball from the halfway line which and beat 10 people and put it in the back of the net. And I, I require people around me to be doing well. You know, we were just a bit weak defensively. Um, I had a sort and everything seemed to be a, we score one and then they'll get one back. And uh, But for a couple of seasons, we managed to get through it all, you know. Um, I think it was the third season we couldn't escape it and uh, the inevitable happened. And Malcolm McDonald was manager for a small while while you were there, wasn't he? And he would have been a huge name when you were growing up. I thought, I, just, I couldn't believe when, when he got the job. I thought, here we go, you know. I have to be honest, it just didn't work for me. I never seen eye to eye from right from the start. Um, I never picked up any any tips or any anything from Malcolm. Um, but I since found out a few years Afterwards, that he had troubles of his own at the time when he was in the job, you know. Mm. So um, I later found out by working with somebody who had troubles that it wasn't uh, it wasn't nice, you know. So um, I didn't. Um, I, although, yeah, you've got to respect Mark McDonald. I mean, what a striker! But um, no, it wasn't a great time for me with Mark there. Yeah. Sure. What were your ultimate highlights of your time at Huddersfield Town? Because we're blasting through this, but, you know, it was a really successful spell. As I said before, you got Player of the Year. It's something that I think Swindon fans don't really think about because they just think about the spells at Swindon and then beyond that. But it was, it was, a, good, it was a good couple of years for you, wasn't it? I loved it. I loved the place. Uh, I loved Huddersfield Place. I loved the people. Um, I went back there actually six, seven months ago for the first time in 30 years. Wow. Um, I was speaking at a strikers. There was, they were having the strikers the last three decades, you know, the best strikers. And we had a big question and answer thing. And I went down and had a look around the stadium and that, you know, it's completely changed when I was there. <laughs> but um, no, no, I, it's, um, I look back on it fondly. 
at Huddersfield, you know. I'm just, uh, I was really pleased at the way they came up and disappointed that they are where they are now. So They'll be fine. They'll be fine. Pick somebody out. Far post for Shearer. Goal! Yes! Wonderful goal all the way from the moment that Hazard picked him out. So, I referenced at the start of this conversation your book, and I got to say... The, the little segment that you uh, where you where it's explained how you joined Swindon with O in hand um, was very mm-hmm. amusing. So the question is normally, how did your move to Swindon come about? <laughs> right, this is oh, it's a, it's quite a hard work one to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, um, actually, Lou, when I first when I spoke, got a chance to speak to Lou once he'd organised. Uh, well, actually. I spoke to Ron Atkinson first at West Brom because he'd settled on a figure uh, with Huddersfield that I could speak to him. So I went down and spoke to Ron and he was his usual like Mr. Bojangles and this and that. And you can be the next Cyril Regis. And, um, so anyway, uh, that was fine. So I went back and had a rethink about it. So then Lou got on the phone to me. Now, I don't know if this was legal or not, but Lou got on the phone to me and um, he asked me how much West Brom were paying for me, and I I really don't know. He says, but I can try and find out. So the next day, I went in to the office and I said to Owen Han, I said, "Listen, Owen, how much are West Brom paying for me?" He says, "Well, you don't need to know that." And I said, "Well, why would I not need to know that?" He said, "Well, why would you need to know it?" I says, "Well, if they're paying a hundred thousand pound, I can set my stall out and how much money that I'm looking for to." Or salary-wise, all right. I says, but if they're paying £500,000, then I can up the ante. So how much are they paying for me? I said, well, I can't tell you. I said, well, fine. I says, the deal's off. My contract's out at the end of the season. I'll just leave for nothing then. So two minutes later, he called me back in the office. He said, right, they're paying 230000 Okay, right, now I can go and speak to Ron and work out my from there. He said, I don't know why you need to know that. I work with Frank Stapleton and Liam Brady and I says, well, it's fine. I says, but they're not here. I says, this is me. So that was fine. So I went back. Of course, first thing I did was I phoned Lou. And I imagine the first thing he did was phone uh, Huddersfield and say, right, we'll pay 230000 for him, you know. So anyway, as it came about, I got the chance to speak to Swindon and I met Lou and as soon as I started speaking to Lou, Lou and got a few words with Chick Bates at the time, and Swindon were uh, uh, Swindon were heading in the right direction for me anyway, you know. Um, and I got a good feel about it. He told me they were signing Ross McLaren as well from uh, uh, Derby, from Derby County. Uh, Colin Calder was there, um, yeah, so they're a good Scottish contingent as well, you know. So I spoke to Lou and agreed terms and all that. He said the only problem we're having now, Duncan, is that. If you go back now, they could pull it. Now, what I did was I signed. Trick Bates gave me the thing and I signed. And they gave me a day and a half. And Lou said to me, he said, listen, why don't you go and ask Huddersfield for some money? I said, how do you mean? He says, well, he says, you've been one of the lowest paid players. You've been the top goal scorer for the last two or three years, kept them in the division. And I said, well, okay. I says, I'll try it. Just say if you're not doing it, but we've already signed you. You can just say, right, I've signed you on my way anyway. So that was fine. So I went back to one hand. I said, listen, I'm, uh, I'm going to go to Swindon. I can't believe that. I can't believe you're going to Swindon. I can't. I said, well, it's my choice, you know. 
So it made me something think something was on the go with him and Ron Axon. It probably wasn't. I tend to I took a lot I've got a lot of time for Ron Hatton anyway, and I liked working with him as a coach. I thought he was he was excellent. So I says, but the thing is, I says, before I go, I'm looking for X amount of money. And um ah, well, I've never heard anything like that in my life. That's fine. Yeah, where you go, says the deal's off. That's fine. So I sat in the house and was in the house five minutes, the phone rang and it was see if I can get his name right. Long Longmore? Longmere. Long Longmere. There was there was Brian Hillier, um and Longmere Long sounds the, the Huddersfield chairman. Oh yeah, the long yeah, yeah. So Let me just double check because I've got the page up oh. and running for well, maybe, you. Keith, wrong one. Do not worry, we can get it. It's there. It's close. Oh. Longbottom. Longbottom. Keith Longbottom. Longbottom. Okay. So he phoned me and he says, "Duncan, what are you doing?" I said, "What do you mean? What are you doing with your own?" I said, "Well, listen, this is the way it is." I says, and I, says I think I'm entitled to. It. I haven't been on the wages some of the boys are on who are doing a lot less than I've done. Um, so, but if not, I'll just leave at the end of the year. Unknown to him, and already signed anyway. Um, so she says, "Okay, right." So he give me a, a figure. I says, "Right, that's fine." <laughs> <laughs> so I phone Lou up. Says, "Right, we're sorted out. Thanks for that tip." And uh, I went on to Swindon. But Lou told me that he actually chased me uh, on the, in a train through to Huddersfield, but he was too late to catch me when I left Chelsea. Um, he found out I was available. And, uh, you know, we had played, Chelsea Reserve had played Swindon a few times in the combination league, they called it at the time. Yeah. And, uh, he'd obviously liked what he'd seen, so he got in a train and chased me. Because there were no mobile phones then at the time, you know. No. So, but he was too late, I'd got to Huddersfield and I'd signed. And so he told me that. So he said, once you come up a second time, he says, I wasn't going to miss out this time. Yeah. So that was me, Swindon Park. I've I got to say, that sounds like a lot of work. Uh, is it is it good that they have agents now, or, or do you reckon it, you would prefer to have just dealt with it yourself? I only used an agent once when I moved from Swindon to to Blackburn. That was the only time that I thought I needed an agent because the fee was quite high. Hmm. Um, and I must admit that uh, what was agreed between me and Blackburn, I would never have got anywhere close to that if I was doing it myself. Yeah, never. No. Especially Kendall, he's talking to you. Here's a, here's a five of a week. Okay, I'll sign. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get to Blooming Blackburn yeah. a bit later, but we'll, we'll celebrate the other Celtic guy in Lou Macari. So, I mean, it must have been, again, I mean, mentioned McDonald before. But but now we're talking about, you know, Celtic heroes yeah. and, and it's Lou Macari. So, yeah. I mean, was, was that ultimately the main factor because like you know Owen Hand regardless of what his motives were you know oh. Ron Atkinson West Bromwich Albion massive and, club no yeah. brainer and then this little yeah. little team in Wiltshire somehow has Lou Macari there and is that the is that the attraction for football? No no I'd, I'd, I'd made a couple of calls to, 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 to some friends and, and they'd talked about uh, what was going on what Lou was building so did um I also talked about the training as well, but I wasn't put off with it. You know, I thought, yeah, you know, this could be the place for me, you know, because uh, um, they were doing really good at the time. And, um, of course, Jimmy Quinn and um, Dave Bamba were there at the time before. I think they both moved on, didn't they, when we came in? Yeah, that's right, yeah. They're both gone, yeah. 
But they, 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 you know, they, them two had done, done extremely well. I said uh, Charlie Henry and uh, Steve uh, Steve White was there when we got there. So yeah. yeah, but they were going in the right direction. That was something that I looked at. I looked at league positions and I looked at the results and I thought, yep, yeah, this is it. You know, because there's a big pressure going to a West Brom or a Notts County or something like that. You know, and at the time, you know, I'm thinking. Oh. Especially when they're sitting down the bottom, there, you know, a big crowd's turning on you. Yeah. And you better go into a team that's 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 rolling high, and, and the fans are right behind you. And uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was the choice. Yeah. No. And as as you mentioned, Swindon were going in the right direction. And although that the vacancies were were ready to be filled, this was quite a tight changing room. They were very close. There's not many of them. It wasn't a huge squad, was it? What do you remember of those early days at Swindon and just getting, well, integrating yourself into that squad? I felt there was a couple of players at Swindon. I'll, I'll not name them. I felt there was a couple of players at Swindon that didn't really like the change. Didn't really like the the players coming in. You know, I don't know if they paid a fee for Ross McLaren, did they? I can't remember. Um, they paid a fee for me, and it was starting to change for them because they were the ones that took the club through the lower divisions mm. uh, uh, into it. And I felt, particularly when it came to the running sessions, you know, the, you know, they would just blast past us in the running sessions. Um, but they were the boys that were ultimately edged out, um, and as new boys come in. You know, your Shears, McLarens, Kerslakes, I think Bodine, guys like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Lou had uh, had understood that maybe maybe this you know, that he had had the best out of some of the players. And that's that's a manager's prerogative, you know. If he thinks he's had the best out of a player, he moves them on and, and, and other players come in. But that's not to say that these, these players uh, deserve a lot of credit for taking the club that far, you know. Yeah. I think that's football, isn't it? Unfortunately, when you have a rapid rise, you've got to accommodate the opposition because there were some yeah. seriously good outfits in in that mm-hmm. division that that first yeah. season. So you really just yeah. got to go for it. You got to buy players that can yeah, play that level. Yeah. It was, I don't, you you you'd uh, tell me more. Legion United, uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, God, uh, some teams in there. I eh? Chelsea, Man City. <laughs> Well, then of course they were, yeah. yeah Man City yeah. as well, Crystal Palace, you know, Sunderland, yeah. Oxford, obviously. Oh, <laughs> had some battles against Crystal Palace, so right and bright, dear, dear. But we matched, we 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 matched them, and uh, you know we're unlucky in the in our in our first season we got to the playoffs. Yeah, good like Palace. Yeah, so your first season's a good one um, as far as the team effort's concerned, but it, it's not the greatest yeah. for you as an individual against scoring goals. Yeah. You have a good return. I mean, you are, you, I say this, and you end the season as the top scorer. Um, but yeah. when we compare you to what you went on to do at Swindon, yeah. it, was, it, was a, it was a modest return of, of, of 14 in the league and Steve yeah. White just behind. So that's, that's a decent enough. Considering, again, considering yeah. you guys made the playoffs... There was a nice yeah. even spread, and we were just sort of grinding out wins, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, I think you know, but um, like the fans as well, you know, you, you get hungry once you get up there. People say, "Oh, you should be happy," you know, and, and I hate that saying, and I've heard it just recently as well about Man United and things like that. Oh, if, you, if you'd offered him fourth position at the start of the season, would have bit your hand off, and that's no, you don't. Just get on with it and just get up there as high as you can. Never mind this rubbish. And, but I going back to my first season, uh, 
I got about, I think I got 10 goals in seven games in pre-season friendlies. And I thought, especially with Dave Hockaday, Dave Hockaday was absolutely phenomenal right back, mm. up and down that wing, and he used to provide a lot of my goals. Um, and we, I thought, this is, this is going to be good, you know. And then the, <laughs> the season started, could I get a goal? <laughs> Honestly, I could not. And I remember the first goal, it kicked off, it was against Crystal Palace. A ball comes played up to me from 30, 35 yards out. I take a touch, it bounces up in the air, and I just hit it. Keep it goes to catch it in his hands, and it goes right through his hands into the bottom left-hand corner. So that was the first goal for me that was actually thrown in. Uh, <laughs> I got a few after that. But by that time, um, the crowd, you know, I, I will say, if you're a striker, you go to a, a, a new team. You have to convince them fans that you can score goals. And you have to convince them pretty early on because then they'll form an opinion of your uh, Rich. And it's hard to change a fan's opinion. Yeah. If someone tells you Duncan is not good and you go, yeah, but he can do this and you do that. No, he can't. And then all of a sudden he starts scoring goals. You say to your mate, well, I told you. Your mate will turn around and say, yeah, but he still can't do this. So to try and change someone's opinion off of me, and I still see it as one of my greatest achievements, the following season that you're just going to about to go into, mm. where I managed to get the Swindon Town players player of the year and that meant more to me than anything because it knows then I know then that going from what I did last year I was starting to get accepted that people had realised um, A I think the system didn't suit me that we were playing um, I mean no bones about it everything was back to front quite quickly um, and I was running out of steam quite a lot I played at my lightest weight I think it was 12 stone 1 when I was at uh, Swindon in that first year and I just ran out of steam uh, around about 60 minute mark chasing over the top chasing over the top and um, it was hard hard going to try and find goals you know mm. uh, and it wasn't until the, the season after that I managed to click into gear you know What did Lou Macari do in that first season to try and sort of get you in amongst the goals again was it was there anything or was it just the same thing over and over and uh, over and over again well, I think I think you've just got to let someone get on with it. You know, you, you have to just. Uh, he pulled me in a couple of times. There was a couple of times it was quite horrific when the crowd were booing against me. You know, um, not not nasty booing, but you could hear the murmur. And he pulled me in one day and he said, "Listen, Duncan, I'll tell you something right now." He says, "You take ten Swindon fans out of that uh, stand and ask them for an opinion, Duncan. You'll get ten different opinions. Trust me." Some might say he's good at this, not so good at that. You'll get 10 different opinions. So you just need to get your head down and just think goals all the time. And that's all you have to do. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of football today, it's no different, is it? I mean, I, I go, I'm, I'm the most boring football fan in a in a stand I'm there I'm watching the game and I'm very quiet I'm not a shouter you know yeah. the referee can't yeah. hear me from the top of the the, the stand or anything <laughs> like that and yeah. I'm not very animated when it comes to I just like watching the game of course I celebrate yeah. a goal but I, I don't never have I booed anybody it just seems a bit odd to me but I can see why people um, are yeah. into that but what you do end up doing is is listening to people's comments and you know <laughs> it, you sort of time in the game when fans start to turn on players that you know that they don't like. So yeah, yeah. sometimes it's second, if they, if they misplace a pass in the first minute, I mean, they've got to score a hat trick or more to win this, this person over. 
I'm going to I'm going to flip you back to Huddersfield. There was an incident that happened when I first went to Huddersfield. I mentioned I got a hat trick and then I got two goals. The following game uh, we played, I can't remember who we played. There was a boy playing for Huddersfield at the time called David Cowlin. And I think he's a fantastic player, you know, in training and that, you know. He was just one of these ones that the fans never took. We played that we played that game and David hit a shot once. And I still see it in my head. Hit this shot. Wow, see it about. 12 inches over the top of the bar. Not too far away, you know. He got a... <laughs> I must say, I hit one. 20 feet over the bar. <laughs> you know, and you're thinking, David's looking at me and shaking his head. And I, think, mm, I don't know how it works sometimes. There we go. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Come on, Swindon! <laughs> Were you competitive with Steve White during your time? Because he always had decent strike partners um, throughout his Swindon career. Um, kind of never re- I don't think he ever got the sole top score he always shared it either with yourself or with Dave Bamber and things like that did, did, did you will you ever have a competition yeah you know because he could never beat me he nearly <laughs> did the day, the day we went to Wembley we were sitting on 27 goals each and I think I look back on that now and I think I don't ever see any strikers and at one team getting 27 goals each and uh we play, this, is, this, is, this is really horrible, right? This, but I suppose this is the way this is the way strikers think, or this is the way strikers should think. We played the played the game at Wembley, twenty-seven each. The boys are winding us up, like, who's going to win it? You know, that wee bit of banter, you know. And uh, I think it was in the first half, Steve's going through just the keeper to keep it to beat, and he stumbles. He gets a foot that falls over the keeper, and the ball's rolling towards the post. This is at nil-nil. And I'm running after it. <laughs> and honestly, I'm thinking to myself in my head, hit the post and come out. <laughs> hit the post and come back out. But don't go that way. If it's going to hit the post, go in the way. I said, but please come back out. And it hit the side of the post and went towards the corner flag. And I chased after it. And I tried to hook it back into the empty net and it went ass over tit. And the ball went away behind the goals. And Steve's looking at me and shaking his head. <laughs> I'm shaking my head. <laughs> I never told him till about oh, six, seven years ago about that instant we went back. Phil King took us back for a question and answer. The team, the Wembley team, I think it was was it maybe five, six years, maybe more. Been the anniversary, like yeah, I imagine. Yeah. So I spoke to him about it that night and I said that's what I was thinking. He says, "Are you serious? You're not actually saying that you you want that ball to hit the post?" I says, "I." <laughs> <laughs> it was a hell of a miss, though. I got it was a hell of a miss. Um, well, maybe we'll talk about Wembley a, a little bit later again. But I mean, my my conversations follow the same sort of timeline because you guys experience the same people, and same things. But what is so exciting about this era are the names that are just coming into this little football club. So we lose Lou Macari to West Ham United. So you kind of think to yourself, if I was an adult there, you kind of think, okay, well, we'll see, we'll get maybe Chick Bates will stay and become manager. But no, you get World Cup winner Ozzy Ardiles, and that that I I can't imagine as a professional, if if this guy walks into your changing room and you know with and it's Ozzy Ardiles, I can't even imagine the the levels of excitement. Oh, it was just it was just fantastic. 
And to go along with it, uh, the most fantastic man, I'm sure you've, did, I don't know if you've ever met him, but just an absolute gem of a man, you know. And our very first training session, uh, he kept Chick Bates on, Chick was Lou's right-hand man, so he kept Chick Bates on and we were doing a uh, box, you know, two in the middle, chasing around, and it wasn't going too well. So <laughs> Chick says, right, that's it, that's enough. Everybody on the line, we thought, here we go, sprints. And Ozzy's going, what's, what's happening? He says, no, 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 no running. Football, we play football, football, ball, ball, football, football. So we're back in, and then Chick just goes like that, you know. So he didn't want to do any running. Just play with the ball. You don't just play football, football, all the time. So brilliant, oh, just fantastic to work with. You must have been rubbing your hands together after the Lou Macari summer just to be able to just play football. Well, I was I was on the verge. I'll be honest with you, and I've said this to a few people. I went to America and, on holiday and uh, came back in the plane. And I said to the wife, "I says, um, this is not working here. You know, I just sensed it wasn't working. The system wasn't. I wasn't playing well. The system wasn't suiting me. The running was getting too much for me. I says, I need to go. You know, I need to go. Wife says, Well, whatever you choose, don't I says, I'm going to go and see him. Uh, pre-season starts. You know. Five minutes later, I got a tap on the shoulder. And the voice is, uh, recognised me. She says, what do you think, your manager then? I says, oh, it's a way to West Ham. <laughs> Whoa. Serious? Jump in. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't wanting to go, see, you know, I wasn't wanting to go. It just, it just didn't work for me there, you know. And uh, I, loved, I loved Lou, I loved speaking to him, I loved everything about him. Um, fantastic man and fantastic manager for the club but it's just one of these things it just didn't suit me and it's not it's not his fault it's not my fault it was just a combination um but to, for the Aussie to come in and uh you know just whoa, brilliant especially after the first game I'm chasing the fullbacks like I did hmm. under Lou and he pulls me in at half time and he goes what are you doing I said, when? She said, you're chasing the Don't you chase the fullbacks? He says, I've got boys who can do that. You stay in there. I'll get my fullbacks down, cross the ball. You get the goals. And uh, it just just zoomed off from there, you know. Everybody loved the training. Everybody loved the change of style. And it was a big change of style, going from what, uh, from what happened. It was successful for Lou, but I don't think that would have been successful for, you know, Adelis. When you play in a team... Like the Argentina team that won the World Cup, you know you don't uh, you don't play football back to front. I'm afraid. Hmm. You you played alongside quite a lot of the same players throughout your four seasons at Swindon, but was that the best season that you had there? Best team I played for, and best season. Aye. Yeah, I had a good season. I think it was the season after, but the season that I got I got transferred. Yeah, was it? Was an the, the fourth season? Yeah, that was that's jumping head on. Yeah. That's under Glenn, you know. Um, but that was a great season. I loved that season, you know. Yeah. Um, combination of you know going to Wembley for the first time ever um, was a fantastic uh, for me as well because I, I, I mentioned I lived in Amersham and the tube in Amersham goes past Wembley Stadium and that's where I was living when I was at Chelsea and I used to look at Wembley Stadium and the tube and wonder if I ever get a chance to play there, yeah. which was uh, which was good. What did Wembley mean to you though as a Scotsman when you were growing up is there is there that sort of because obviously you've got Hamden um, 
Scotland England huge rivalry, but many many Scots play at Wembley, and it is a big deal, and it is it is a place to go. Was was that the same for for you as well? It was, uh, because you remember it was still the Twin Towers when we were there. Yeah, well, I've been back a few times uh, watching Chelsea in various cup finals and that since then. And although the the Millennium Stadium was a magnificent stadium, um, I still prefer the older. I still prefer the history and. And I think the first thing is that people would say to you, say, watch yourself on the pitch and don't run about too much because it's sapping, you know. Mm. And I'm thinking, has he been cheeky saying to me, don't run about too much? Has somebody been talking to him about me? <laughs> so don't worry about that. I says, I'm not going to run about too much. <laughs> <laughs> the, the old Wembley, I mean, I, I, I went to the Twin Towers um, and... You know, I, I went there and a couple of times, and it was tired. It was, you know, it, yeah. it, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't aesthetically pleasing, other than the towers themselves. But it, it still had something. Maybe it's because you're raised on it. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, I think when people talk about how the FA Cup isn't the same anymore, I do think there's a there's a there's a yeah. link between that and the old Wembley. Um, yeah. There there was just this this thing because it was all concrete outside. It, there was nothing really. Wembley's yeah. not the nicest place in the world, but there was just something about that ground. And the especially fact that... The, especially when they sang the Abide With Me at the start of every FA Cup final, you know. Yeah. It's just sin, crispy. You just wanted to be there, you know. You wanted to be out there playing, you know. Uh, it must have been fantastic for some of these boys to be doing that. We've We've talked about on this podcast, I mean, I've talked to Fraser, I've talked to David Kerslake, Paul Bowden, Adam McLaughlin, uh, Colin Calderwood um, from that day. And, you know, it's hard to, to talk about it without thinking about what was happening behind the scenes because, you know, yeah. the, the, there's plenty, you know, of suggestion that Sunderland knew that they were going up and maybe didn't put in as much mm. effort as they needed to. I don't necessarily go with that because if you're a professional, you play at Wembley, you want to win, yeah. right? Um, yeah. But the the idea that the football association the football association allowed the game to even take place, given that it was probable that Swindon would get demoted, just blows my mind. You know, if, if Swindon commit a crime and they're punished, so yeah. be it. You know, I'm not old enough to have been a part of that, and I know that. The, the ill feeling to the FA still runs deep with people from that time, and I understand that. But the thing that really annoys me is fans were allowed to go there. They were allowed to dream. Players were able to go there, celebrate, and the FA knew damn well that it was when they were going to make you know, they were going to make an exception of. What are your memories of, of that time? Because I mean, your your greatest moment taken away, even though it was yeah. still great. The first time ever that you know we look forward to the. You know, the fixture list coming out and seeing the big teams up there and yeah. when do we play these teams and that. Yeah, I understand. And But I don't, I wouldn't buy into the Sunderland, you know, knowing that, um, you know, there's a the good chance that they would go up and we would get, to, you know, um, relegated down a division, and that, you know, because, you know, three or four Sunderland players, I shook hands with, had tears in their eyes mm. at the end of that match. So, uh, and it was bigger for them, you know, albeit. Swindon had a fantastic support. Sunderland had a, a, a renowned big, big support. So there was a lot of their players in tears. So they had no idea what was going to happen. Uh, we had no idea what was going to happen. We got the early indications of things that would happen at the ground. And Collins, 
when we were down in Newquay in Cornwall and Colin got taken away in the in, in the middle of the morning in the morning um, and tax people coming in so all that kind of bit, we were kept well shielded uh, from that by Aussie and Chick well shielded and, and we knew what was uh, what was at stake here you know um, I still to this day I'm, I still I was in Jersey on holiday with my wife at the time I switched on the radio and, and uh, uh, I got the what had happened through there and I just shook my head in disbelief couldn't believe what was going on. I thought, well, okay, listen, right, so they don't let us go up, leave us in the same division, but they even put us down a division. And since then, you know, it's, it's, it's been a bugbear of mine that there's a lot of clubs done a lot worse uh, and been caught and not got punished like that, you know. Uh, um, so, yeah, hard done by, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I think it, it it's not outrageous to say Swindon were made an example of it's a perfect opportunity and then yeah. bigger teams just years later committed the same well, yeah. guilty of the same crimes and then just got a fine and it, that that's the sort of thing that Swindon Town fans look at and I completely understand it now especially when the FA made quite a lot of money on that final exactly <laughs> well yeah fans paid for tickets you know and traveled yeah. down you know it, it, it's that's that's the thing that really sort of still sort of grates me, even yeah. though I wasn't there and yeah. wasn't part of it. But twenty seven goals that season in all competitions for you at one stage demoted two levels. Were you, were you thinking of leaving at that point as well? Hadn't thought my mind. Hadn't, hadn't, not even thought about it. Yeah. Nothing. You know, it wasn't like the Huddersfield thing. You know, I wasn't in a relegation battle every year. We were hitting playoffs. We were hitting uh, top spots quite a lot. So I knew we were a good team here and a good chance as well when the appeal came through because we got a lot of support from a lot of other clubs. You know, a lot of people spoke up for us and said, you know, how out of order it was and the pressure was put on them to put us back into the division. Um, but a bit annoyed because it would have been my first year playing against, I know I was at, at Chelsea and played a couple of games, but they were outside the, the top division at the time, you know. Mm. Um, so... Gone were my chances to play against your Liverpools, your Man Uniteds, and teams like that. So yeah, it's pretty hard going, but uh, pretty hard going. Yeah. yeah, I mean, your form maintains in the following season. It's a struggle for Swindon, and I always ask, was it like a hangover? What what went wrong um, the following year? Because again, the squad is pretty stable. Alan McLaughlin goes about halfway through. That's that's really it as far well, as exits. Concerned? Did, did what, what happened there? Did Phil King go that season? I yeah, Phil, Phil would have gone. Yeah, I think he went the season before. Did, did he play at Wembley? No, no, I don't think so. No, Kerslake and um, and Bowden would have played at Wembley, wouldn't they? So yeah, so you know, ah, uh, uh, you know, but that's two key players. Mm-hmm. Alan McLaughlin is a fantastic player, you know, for us, and he was he, shoot, he suited the diamond formation that Aussie had. You know, so it was difficult. Uh, it was difficult to lose your key player in that uh, in that position. But um, as you say, we still had um, Tom Jones came on board. He was, Tom's a fantastic player, you know. Yeah. Uh, a lot of time for Tom. Wee Fitz, where Simpson was emerging as a great player. Nicky Summerby was coming. Was good. The youth was good as well. John Trollope was bringing through a lot of good young players. You know. Loads of loads of characters in in Swindon's yeah. back room. I mean, obviously the more serious like John Trollope, yeah. but you also have people like Kevin Morris and and, and yeah. Eddie Buckley as well in there. Hi, Buckers. <laughs> How's it, boy? 
Uh, uh, good fun, good fun. They were lovely people, you know. And uh, the thing about Swindon was, I, I never thought they were too big for their boots. And you can say, are they punching above their weight? Yeah, uh, for the size of the club, yes, they are. And, and if you come in and see our club, I had to walk around. There's the wee physio room, there's this, there's that, the next. And then you go to Man City, and all the teams that are playing in our same division, the Leeds United, you know, they're just out of the, out of the stratosphere compared to Swindon. But uh, good, honest lads, good players, great team spirit, great team spirit. And uh, as I said, for me, best team, best club team that I played for. Yeah. In that, in that unfortunate season where we don't do so well, there are a couple of highlights for sure that you played and scored in. And this is this is my first season as an attender of football matches. So this is the year that that my dad took me to my first game, even though you know I would have liked to go on a little bit. Um, I was about. Seven when when I went to my first, but I was living overseas with the oh, army. Okay. So when we visited my dad in England, he took me to my first game. So I'm always like, I wish I would have gone earlier, but I wasn't in the country, so I can't really blame him for that. But a couple of games that st- stand out really for me was the Oxford away where you score a brace where we're two nil down very early on, and the Bristol City away where we beat them four nil. What were your memories of the derbies, even if they're not those specific games? Well, Loved the Bristol derbies. I loved that one as well, particularly because that I think that was near Christmas time that game, if I remember rightly. Around about that period, the four 0 Bristol City game. Uh, Steve White got a brace, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, because I wasn't supposed to. I don't think I was supposed to be playing. I think I'd been left out for a couple of games for sort of something had happened. But I found out in the front or the front, whatever it was. Found out the day before I was playing, and we we weren't going great, but we demolished them. I think Mickey Hazard ran the show that day, if I remember rightly. Um, and Steve was fantastic up front. Sharp as attack. <laughs> yeah, Bristol Rovers connections yeah. coming through there for Steve the White. The Oxford game was a, was a strange one as well. Did you say they were 2-0 up? Yeah, after about five minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Martin Foyle we got one, did he? Yeah, and then we came back and I got a couple. Did we Fitzroy get one? I can't remember. You scored the last two. Um, it was, I mean, your memory is brilliant. Um, Simpson scored the first, then Foley got the second, the equaliser, and then you finished the job off. Uh, just a round to keep her and we tap in. Yeah, that was a good one because that was a derby as well for us, you know. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 it was. Okay. Um, I'm weary of the time, so we'll crack on. So next up is Glenn Hoddle. You know, mm-hmm. Lou Macari, Ozzy Adidas, yeah. Glenn Hoddle. And I still say to people. I still say to people. You go further down the line. I'm getting the least Willie Miller. Uh, I said, "What a team I can have! What a team!" <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, Glenn. Glenn was uh, again. He, you know, he came in. He, he he tried to change the way we were eating. You know, with the pasta and all that, and uh, you know, not having meat in the pasta and just having sauces. And you know, sometimes you he would say, "Just eat the pasta itself," because it would work its way into your muscles a lot quicker. And, and things like that but uh, the biggest thing that sticks out with me with Glenn is his playing <laughs> his playing oh what a player dear 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 <laughs> I remember he used to get until someone had pointed out to him in a, in a team meeting we a few training sessions a few games and, uh, and then he started you, you always used the word sloppy you know he used to sloppy this sloppy that sloppy this and then all of a sudden someone says listen Glenn uh, gaffer you understand, you know, someone hits a ball at me at 60 mile an hour. I'm not that good that I can take it down, kill it dead and play another ball to someone else. 
It's 60 mile an hour. He says, you can do that. I can't do that. Don't Just because we can't do what you can do, don't start, you know, <laughs> having a pop at us. And that's where he had to taper it down a wee bit and say, well, okay, maybe this boy's got a point. You know, I'm expecting everybody to be passing it perfect and controlling it perfect. And we're not all, we're all different uh, standards, you know. Glenn Hoddle's Glenn Hoddle, you know. But um, I, loved him. I loved his teammates and I love working with John Gorman. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, great training sessions to both go on. And, and uh, Glenn was always first to stay out with me afterwards, myself and Steve White. And we just do shooting and crossing and finishing. And uh, we stay there all day most of the time. Love it. Brilliant. Love yeah. working. Yeah. 91 92 is, is, is an interesting one, really, because, I mean, as a fan, it, you kind of help be a little bit bitter. You were the king of the brace, really, that year. Um, mm. If you ever scored, you tend to score more than one. Lots of braces scored. You went to your old club, Huddersfield, and, and, and scored a couple. You, you scored yeah. four. <laughs> Plymouth Argo. Just a, just a, right, I, I hope you had a goals, uh, you know, a good goal bonus. Rich, that was my first heart trick for Swindon. That four 0 game down at the wow, you are the then. As you say, a lot of twos, but I just couldn't get a third. And I, I got a third, and then I got another one afterwards. So we won four 0 that game, demolished them. <laughs> did that? Did that impact the the uh, the goal bonus? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you scored in the derbies again against Bristol City and Oxford. Swindon are kicking on. You know, again, it's a division with some good teams in there. That was what was so good about. I mean, Championship is is crazy now, but there, it was such an exciting time for Swindon as well because you also had for all the great teams that were in the big teams that were in there. You also had Oxford, Bristol City, Bristol Rovers, Plymouth. You know, just derbies. Yeah. If you weren't playing a massive team, you were playing oh, a derby. Yeah. So it was yeah. it was magnificent. Um, yeah. Did did Glenn get you? I mean, this is your best season as far as goals are concerned because of your exploits in the cup as well. Did did Glenn get extra from you through those extra yeah. sessions? Yeah, yeah, he did. He, a lot of Glenn's uh, working with me was not so much my shooting and my volleying and that because he was quoted as saying that you know he's, I was one of the best. Volleyers of the ball that he'd ever seen anyway. So, um, although I've seen that as a, as a major strength for myself, my main problem for me was my movement. I was awful static, you know, and uh, easy to pick up and for strikers, uh, for centre-halves and that. So, there was a case of note, you know, he was saying to me, you know, when, when the ball's moving about, it's important that you move about. You don't stand about and just wait for things to happen, don't you? If you're not getting it, move off, take another position. And then somebody who's looking, if he's in midfield and I'm looking, I see a picture, nothing's happening, Duncan. And then I pass the ball and I get it back. A couple of seconds later, I look up, it's still the same picture. So when I pass the ball, you move somewhere else. Someone else will move in and the whole thing will change from there. And people ask why, why Barcelona stand in the middle of the park and they pass the ball six, seven yards to each other all the time. Well, all the time that ball is getting moved about, other people are moving. So the picture will change in front of you. If you look forward, there's nothing on, pass the ball, get it back, go back, turn around, look again. There's a different picture, you know. But with me, he says, what are you doing, Duncan? You're standing directly in the same place. So if I look and you don't get it, go away. I want to see you somewhere else the next time. Yeah. Uh, all things like that, uh, that I've, as a coach myself, that I've, that I've helped young kids with. 
and what's so great about this is you're 29 years old at this stage so mm. you're still learning you're still taking yeah. it on board whereas I think a lot of well, I feel, maybe it's unfair but a lot of footballers will go like are you kidding I've been doing this for X amount of time I'll do it the way I know but the fact that when you've got this resource in Glenn Hoddle there, I, I, I know you've really got to listen, but the, the willingness to learn, and it, and it worked out for you, because even though you get your move to Blackburn, even though that, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, you go on to have such a great career at Aberdeen, you get capped by Scotland, so it, it pays off, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And uh, Glenn played a big, big, big part in that, you know. Uh, as I said, I loved this. And I was never so... Never so sad. Uh, that was probably the saddest I'd seen Glenn that that uh, that day that I'd got transferred. Because yeah. I was away. I was actually at the Notts County the day before speaking to Neil Warnock, and they were in the Top first flight. division mm-hmm. thing, and they were heading towards relegation. And he threw out the whole thing to me. That's sorry. That was probably that was when I first got an agent. Went down there. Um, Spoke away to him and I just listen. I just want to play for Notts County, you know. Swindon was saying to me, Glenn had made it time. He said, Duncan, don't choose here. You know, this club has to sell you. You know, we need this money, and you know, we're in big trouble. So that was fine. So I went away, spoke to them, uh, came back. That I said to Neil Warnock, I said, listen, I'll phone you tomorrow. I'm going back to speak to my wife. I went back. Went into Swindon. The next morning before training to tell Glenn I was going to join Notts County and he told me there'd been a development. He says, there's Kennedy uh, Leashes on the phone for you. So, as soon as that was it, my ears popped up. Blackburn was sitting, I think, second or third at the time. They were at top for a long, long time. Then they started slipping down the league a little bit, you know. Um, so, and that was the saddest I'd seen him. I said, well, OK, I'll go and speak to I go and speak to Kenny. He gave me his number and I phoned him up and I went straight down in the car and spoke to Kenny. And that was the last I seen of of Glenn. But I know he was, I know he was really disappointed because I was sitting on thirty two league goals at the time, which was equal with George Rogers' um, on, yeah. uh, uh, record, and yeah. I still had ten games to go. So I'm not saying I would have bet it, George. You know, <laughs> like, but I'm just saying that uh, I would like to have a crack at it. As Glenn made it, you know, the point to me, this club needs to sell you Duncan. And as it was, which was quite unusual, uh, the money was uh, paid right away. Normally, when you get a transfer fee, you know, that that high, it's two hundred thousand and another hundred and another hundred in stages, you know. But um, Jack Walker, yeah. <laughs> and I was I was off the bottom. A lot of fans still consider this like a bit of a stitch up, you know, Blackburn essentially signed Duncan Shearer to um to derail our promotion attempt in in order to to you know enhance theirs. But it 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 does sound more along the lines of they pretty much saved Swindon from financial turmoil. Is it more the latter than the, the former? A bit of both. I'll tell you the story and I'll, I'll let you judge it yourself. Um I went down to I went down to Blackburn and played the first game at Barnsley. Uh, I think we could beat two one. Um, played a couple more games and by that time, Mike Newell was coming back at Blackburn from a broken leg. So when the, uh, Blackburn had slipped into third or fourth or something like that, so we were sitting round the table one night uh, and we were staying in the same hotel as Gordon Cowens and David Speedy. 
Uh, Roy Wagley was at Blackburn at the time. You had a lot of big, big players there. And um, we're chatting over a cup of tea. And the late Ray Hartford, Kennedy Glish's assistant, starts uh, nibbling me about Aussie Adelis and the diamond formation and how he worked it in training and that. And he was at me all night about it, you know. And uh, I said, why are you so obsessed with uh, diamond formation? And why are you so obsessed the way Glenn's playing the game now, you know? Because um, Gordon Cowan said to me, he says, well, Duncan, the only team we're scared of in the playoffs, it looks like we've just slipped away now and we're going to be in the playoffs. And Gordon Cowan says, the only team we're scared of is Swindon. We know we can beat every other team. He says, but I don't think we can handle Swindon the way they play and the players they've got. I says, so what are you saying? No, I'm not saying anything. He says, that was it. Left out of that. Right. So quite often, if, if you watch the... <laughs> If you watch the old Cowboys and Indians, the first thing you do is take out the Chief. So if you take 32 goals out of Swindon and then you play them a couple of games and put them on the bench for the rest of the time. You have to make your own mind up about that. But it's either somebody being very very clever or whatever. But the, the thing is, at the end of the season, I was, I was away to Aberdeen. Yeah, so, I mean, regarding that, were you injured or were you just out of the squad when they got to Wembley? Just never played me. Yeah, Jesus Christ. I, I was at Wembley, I was in the squad at Wembley, uh, but I wasn't on the bench. No, no, which is just incredible to think, given the amount of goals you scored. But, but yeah, well, it's just... Also, when you've got Jack Walker had the money you had, he could afford to do that. Yeah. I don't know whether there was a conversation with Kenny said to him, you know, we... Uh, we're going to the playoffs and the only team we're scared of is Swindon. Yeah. They're going by the striker. It, it, it feels a bit like that's what, in a way, Bournemouth did to Swindon when we lost Matt Ritchie to them. And then they had their astronomical climb as well because we were financially on our knees and then they took our best resource for not the biggest of prices. And then yeah. they saw, and he's one of their key players, and then we, we are Swindon Town. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, um... I mean, Aberdeen, I could talk to you for an hour and a half about your time at Aberdeen. You, you know, you become fiercely popular, but you play more league games for Swindon, so that's more important. And you <laughs> score loads of goals, but you still score more goals in your career for Swindon. But you, you do things like you win the League Cup, you score in the Cup final, you go on to play for Scotland, and, and you also, you know, score for Scotland. It's very hard for me to say, sum up your uh, Aberdeen and Scotland and your Inverness career in, yeah. in a short blight. But, I mean, you must be, considering that you, you entered the professional game reasonably late, the fact that yeah. you managed to play for as long as you did and have success as well, you must look yeah. back at your career so fondly. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you pointed out on that. I reckon about 15 years I managed to squeeze out of it, you know, since I was 21 when I went full-time. And stopped playing just at the back of 35. Um, so, yeah, absolutely delighted. Would I have thought I'd go on and play for Scotland? No. Um, did I understand that I never got a chance for Scotland? No. And I told the Scotland manager that when he put me into the squad. Because when I joined Aberdeen, um, I uh, started scoring goals. And I got a couple of friends that were sponsoring me at the time. I got quite close with them. And they had said to me, they said, listen, you keep scoring goals, you'll get a chance for Scotland. I says, mm, I'm nearly 30 now, you know. don't think that's going to happen. He said, I'm telling you, you will. And about 
was 31 when I got my first Scotland cap, which is really late. Um, but I told him at the time, I said, Listen, how come I'm scoring a few goals for Aberdeen and I'm in the Scotland squad? Yet I'm down in the Championship. I had to see old Swindon scoring goals, but I never got anywhere near this. Uh, we had a look at you a few times. I said, I'm not in a. I said, in fact, I said, I'll be honest with you, I'm probably a better player at Swindon. I think a fitter player at Swindon than I am here at Aberdeen. Um, so, ah, uh, well, I said, uh, well, there we go. But I can't answer it. You know, I didn't. I, I just think if you're playing football in Scotland and you're doing well, you've got a better chance of getting a Scotland cap than you are if you're down in England. Mm. I think in 2020 you would probably, or in in, in the 2000s, 2010s, you probably had about 50 caps um, uh-huh. playing playing in championship level. Unfortunately, but, but you still did it. And it was it was a real emotional time for me. Um, even getting one cap for Scotland, you know, just uh, blew my head that I'd gone from 21 boom straight through and, and managed to do what I'd. I mean, I went out as a fan to Mexico. I went out as a fan to France in the World Cup. I went out uh, as a fan. Well, I played in the qualifying games for England, the European Championships in England when I last held there. Um, and I ended up going there as a fan because I never made the squad. So, uh, great times, great times. But I've got a son now that's 27 and he hasn't seen Scotland play in a, in a World Cup or a, or a European Championships. And it really worries me. It worries me badly. It's it's insane, and especially yeah. now the European Championships are as a as a, not easy to get into, but the, it's very much an open goal. And you know, to, to not have Scotland well, actually, there, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm actually saying to Scotland, they're going there now. The future chance. We're giving you more and more chances. You're getting playoffs. You're getting this, yeah. and they still don't seem to be grabbing it. You know, uh, frustrating. Yeah. Well, I mean. You're now coaching, aren't you? So you, you were you were coaching Bucky Thistle for a, for a good while, and and now you're coaching at youth level. Is that right? No, I was I was up until three years ago. Yeah, and when I was taking the reserve team at Inverness, and they were um, they got relegated. And part of the criteria is that when you win the championship, you don't have to have a reserve team if you don't want them. Yeah. Financially, they didn't need one, yeah. so they just went with a youth team and uh, spread them about all over the Highlands. You know, they didn't have a youth team playing in the league. Uh, they just can't afford to keep it going, you know. And it looks as though it's going to get worse for them, which is uh, which is sad. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoyed it. That was up to three years ago. I'm now working for a distribution company up here, doing a bit of driving and that. So I'm quite, I'm quite happy. I'm only a few years away from retirement, hopefully. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Okay, so we'll close now with my set. Uh, question that I ask everybody and it's always Swindon related so you know when when you're looking back at your career you close your eyes and you, you think of the you think of Swindon Town what are the things that immediately come to mind? That ball hitting the post Steve White at Wembley <laughs> <laughs> No uh, yeah Wembley aye Wembley it was just Wembley was insane it was just the whole build up and everything f- fantastic the boys with their new suits on and that, and, uh, and the great party we had afterwards as well, back at, uh, back at Swindon as well. Um, and the, the open top the next day, which I missed, because I wasn't feeling too well. <laughs> something I drank. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's for me, that was it for Swindon. But plus, I'll be honest with you, that's, Swindon Town are probably keeping touch with more players at that team 
than I do any other team I've played for. Yeah. You know? Who are the gang? I still, still speak uh, Kingy now and again, Tom Jones quite often, Colin Calderwood, David Kerr's like. Uh, I've seen Paul Bodin, Steve and them, and that's, you know, when I go back and that's so, uh, great lads. It's a dream team. Duncan Shearer, thank you very much. No problem, Rich. It's been a pleasure. The Low Strangers is a Swindon Town podcast proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was designed expertly by Matt in Singapore. Thanks for listening. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.